Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate teen mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello, everyone. I'm not going to lie, I'm recording this on Saturday afternoon. I woke up this morning. I went to bed early last night. I woke up this morning. I did a great hot yoga class. It was Halloween themed and I was like, oh, how is this going to go? In case you guys didn't know, I don't know if I've talked about it on here. I'm getting back into working out and going to a lot of like boutique studio classes like bar and hot yoga, that type of stuff. And every playlist is always really bad everywhere I go. Like Sometimes it'll be, like, semi-okay, but it's, like, rap music from 2004. Like, I I don't know. I don't really get why every fitness instructor is, like, very bad at selecting music, but they are. Except today, I went to one that was Halloween-themed, and I was like, wow, I just really would love this class if they just played Werewolf Bar Mitzvah from 30 Rock on repeat. But, you know, I knew that wasn't going to happen. It didn't make an appearance, unfortunately. But I will say, having a theme pushed the instructor uh, to do pretty well. Her music selection was pretty good. Our cool down song was the Twin Peaks theme song. And that was incredible. Uh, Like, Psycho Killer by Talking Heads was on there. And then I was like, oh, shit. Like, I should make a Talking Heads yoga playlist and force them to play it here. (laughs) Basically, I'm thinking about, like, losing 100 pounds and becoming, like, a 100-pound yoga instructor just so I can dictate the playlist in class. But anyway, I was, like, feeling good on cloud nine. Life is good. I did hot yoga. I'm getting so much stronger. I just started working out, like, a month and a half ago. I've been walking for the last year, but I haven't been doing, like, actual workouts and My planks are getting so good. I'm just getting so much strength. And like the yoga instructor was like, hey, I know it was your first time. And I was telling her I just started working out a month ago. And she's like, wow, like you you really you kept up like that's really great. You did a good job. So, you know, I walk out. I'm feeling great. Uh, I get a text from Princess actually and is like, hey, there was a shooting at a temple in Pittsburgh. Like, are you near Pittsburgh? Like, are you okay?" And I was like, I didn't even really, I was like, yeah, I mean, I live in Philadelphia. I'm five hours away. I don't go to Temple. It, I, I don't know. I didn't think anything of it. And then I got home and I saw that eight people had died and that's not great. And that the guy yelled, kill all Jews before he started murdering eight people and it's very sad and upsetting and it's like not always easy to be a Jewish person, (laughs) you know, and I definitely have a lot of privilege considering I'm white. And then these things happen where like you remember that a lot of people just like want you dead and that's not great. So yeah, I'm like, I'm feeling a little down. I'll admit it. Although my life has been going pretty well. Uh, Make sure this week you listen to me on Princess's podcast, Spelling Tea. This is like a hard transition. (laughs) But I went on Spelling Tea and we talked, I don't know how much she'll leave in, but I think we talked for two hours as Princess and I 
always do every single time, no matter what. We cannot, you know, get on the phone and talk for less than two hours. But <laughs> uh, I believe it's just on Patreon. It's a Patreon exclusive, but I thought I'm a spelling tea head. Like, even if you don't love Tori spelling, come for princess, but really... Like, if you like Teen Mom, you should be following Tori Spelling as well. Her books are honestly really good. She's a good, I don't know if good writer is the best way to describe her. She's a very entertaining writer. Her shows are wild. The episode of True Tori that we recapped was fucking bananas. I I love Tori Spelling. I find her so interesting. I have for ever. Do you guys remember, I think my first real introduction to Tori Spelling was... She had that show on VH1 called So Notorious, because I never really watched that 90210. I'm a little too young for 90210, probably like three years too young for 90210. I didn't have an older sibling that watched 90210, so I kind of missed 90210. I knew Tori Spelling from like watching Lifetime movies because, I don't know, my parents let me watch whatever I wanted my entire life, by the way. I don't know if I've ever really talked about that on here, but I had essentially no tv rules when i was a kid i could watch tv whenever i wanted whatever i wanted to watch there was no regulations on my screen time (laughs) uh my whole family is kind of like this my dad's side of the family like we are all tv watchers we love tv tv is life tv is love uh i always talk about my cousin julia on here like Hi, Julia, but she she grew up the same. We would watch whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, for as long as we wanted. So, of course, as a kid, I loved Tori Spelling in Lifetime movies, especially Death of a Cheerleader was like, oh, I fucking loved that movie when I was probably like nine. <laughs> but I really loved Tori Spelling in So Notorious. I thought it was so funny, and I remember like talking to my mom about Tori Spelling, and she kind of told me who like Aaron Spelling was. I think I also just, like, had an understanding because I have been also reading, like, tabloid gossip magazines my entire life, like, forever. My mom likes celebrity gossip. I love celebrity gossip. So I I had, like, a general understanding, but I really got to know her and so notorious. And I was like, wow, this is hilarious. I think that was probably one of my first real introductions into satire. Uh, And I just thought it was great. And since then, I've, like, been into Tori Spelling. And she's just such a maniac. She's such a monster, but, like, in a lovable way. And I just love to follow her. Anyway, I'm on such a tangent. So, yeah, if this isn't going to be the best episode of Feathers My Hair ever, honestly, it, it, you know, a hate crime just happened that directly is targeted against the type of person that I am. And that's tough. So, I'm going to do my best going to do my best to discuss all things Teen Mom. (sighs) What happened in the Teen Mom universe this week? I would say the only interesting thing that I can remember is that Janelle posted this YouTube video about domestic violence and it's weird. Uh, She talks about the fact that she doesn't understand why people think that she's being abused. She doesn't understand why people believe her, don't believe her that she's not being abused. Uh, she does say, like, she's been through abusive situations in the past, and basically nobody believed her then, and they call her a liar, which is true. I saw someone on Reddit say, no, everybody believes that Nathan and Kiefer abused her. And I'm like, no, they don't. She literally gets tweets every single day calling her a liar about the situ- about lying about domestic violence still. So she talks about 
how nobody believed her in the past and she thinks it's very weird that like when she said she was being abused nobody believed her and now that she's saying she's not being abused nobody believes her she said she's always been an open book she's always been honest which is i mean just not factual uh it it's sad and bizarre and makes me uncomfortable to watch it and the weirdest part is okay so for the last six ish months maybe maybe a little more maybe a little less but let's like round it off at six months there's been a lot of speculation online that something is going on with janelle's bottom teeth she is no longer smiling with her mouth open in like any pictures uh and basically doesn't show her bottom teeth at all and people are saying, like, it's probably her teeth are missing, her teeth are missing. And I was like, I really don't think her teeth are missing. I will be honest. I was like, you guys, I really thought it was just more typical Janelle, like, internet fandom making up crazy theories. And I was like, her teeth aren't fucking missing. Well, in this video, it is so obvious that Janelle doesn't have bottom teeth anymore. She had, what I think is going on, I think all of her bottom teeth, front bottom teeth are pooled, and then she has a flipper. Do you guys know what a flipper is? If you watch Toddlers and Tiaras, you know that a flipper is like fake teeth, but I think they even call it that not on Toddlers and Tiaras because my old roommate had a flipper for a tooth that she had missing uh, that she couldn't afford to get fixed because implants are a trillion dollars if you don't have health insurance. Hers looked, like, normal because it was just one tooth. But I think Janelle has a flipper that she wears for her bottom front teeth. And she just doesn't have any teeth on the bottom. And I don't know. Her front, her top teeth still look fine. I don't know if she got veneers on her top and now she can't afford to do it on her bottom. I have no idea what's going on. Of course, there's heavy speculation that David knocked all her teeth out. I personally find it hard to believe that he somehow managed to knock all of her bottom teeth out and none of her top teeth. Um, that's, ooh, that, like, gives me chills and makes me feel gross to even talk about. But the reality is if you get punched in the face and you lose teeth, it's not just going to be on the bottom. It's just not going to be. It just, it just, there would be top teeth missing, too. There would be top teeth issues. So, I don't think that's true. Now, on to the next speculation. It's that she's smoking meth and she has meth mouth. Do I think Janelle's smoking meth? Probably not. I've never really, like, clocked Janelle as a meth head. Uh, Could Janelle be a meth head? Yeah, sure. I mean, of course, of course Janelle could be a meth head. It's Janelle. How could she? We can never rule that out. Do I think Janelle's a meth head? I honest, I don't, I don't know for sure, but what I do know is that people that are drug addicts, which Janelle is one, you often have extensive dental issues. How come we don't call it dental health, like mental health? Because that's what it is, right? It's your dental health. That's what I'm going to call it, dental health. Let's start a movement. So, the reason for this is that a lot of drug addicts, especially if they're in active addiction for a long time, just don't care for their teeth for years. You know, you brush your teeth when you can, but if you're homeless, if you're dope sick, yada, 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 you just, you don't take care of your teeth. You also have an extremely unhealthy body, and I think as most people know, like, your teeth are part of your body, and an unhealthy body can cause unhealthy, an unhealthy mouth, and it just... A lot of addicts have problems with teeth 
through addiction and then once they get sober and a lot of, it's obviously it's so expensive to fix and I have a lot of experience with people who have extremely fucked up teeth that were active addicts and they never touched meth as it it's not meth yes I know meth I don't really understand exactly why meth causes such bad teeth damage but it doesn't have to be meth for a drug addict to have like a lot of dental health issues um especially if they grew up poor uh like janelle did i wonder if janelle's family was able to afford to go to the doctor i mean not the doctor the dentist i i don't think janelle grew up poor i think janelle grew up with a single mom that was lower to middle class like lower middle class lower middle class or middle class like in between depending on what type of job barbara is working if bob evans was sending child support checks yes janelle's dad's name is bob evans I know, it's crazy. But I do think that it's it could be possible that Janelle didn't see a dentist a lot as a kid, which caused some problems, which then resulted in her, through her active addiction and through her adulthood, just not taking care of her teeth. And I wonder if they pulled a bunch of her bottom teeth because she was having issues. And I wonder if they, like, did stuff to her top teeth, but she got full veneers on the top. So we just never notice it. And for whatever reason, she hasn't gotten them on the bottom. Maybe she can't afford it. Maybe she was getting it done in L.A. and she hasn't been to L.A., et cetera, et cetera. But something is going on with Janelle's teeth. I'm disturbed by the teeth situation. Whatever. Also, in this video that Janelle posted, the domestic violence video, like, she looked awful. She is very her face is starting to look very gaunt her eyes are very hollow the video definitely gave me like janelle in Cortland on Ustream vibes i don't i don't know if i've even talked about this on the podcast you guys know i go into a fugue state and have no memory but back when janelle and Cortland together were together i don't know if you guys remember Ustream or know what Ustream was but in like 2012 and 2013 Ustream was popular and people, it was basically Instagram Live. That's what it was, right? It was Instagram Live before Instagram Live existed. Um, Like before most people were even, I doubt I had an Instagram at that point. But it was basically Instagram Live and what they would do, Cortland and Janelle would just get on Ustream and people could type in the comment boxes. Yeah, it was was exactly Instagram Live. And people would go on Ustream or Janelle and Cortland would go on Ustream and they would be high out of their schools on heroin and they would just like smoke cigarettes and talk to people. And it was really weird and uncomfortable, but I watched probably every single minute they were on live stream. I, or Ustream. I doubt I like ever missed a Ustream. Of course it would get recorded and put on YouTube. They're still on YouTube, I'm sure. And she looked awful in them awful and this video that she recorded gave me major flashbacks to when Janelle was on Ustream so I don't know I don't know if Janelle's doing hard drugs again would I be surprised if Janelle's doing hard drugs again no because I'm not so sure Janelle ever stopped doing hard drugs I think she was just fucking around then with Xanax and Adderall and maybe not like heavily addicted to opiates but I mean, Janelle's a drug addict who has never, ever been sober. And I, as I was last week, I am gravely concerned for her and for the children. Uh, I hope somebody can step up and do something, but nothing, of course, is being done. 
it's just it's just upsetting and I often wonder like what it will take for Janelle to have a consequence that is so grave that she changes her life or her kids are at least taken from her you know what's it going to take for Janelle to go to rehab again and get serious about her mental health I don't know maybe maybe there's nothing and maybe this just is the life that Janelle is going to live for the rest of her life and I think that's likely you know Janelle is a sick person who is living a sick life and I'm not a lot of people she's like a lot of people a lot of people are like her in this life and unfortunately like a lot of those people don't ever get better they just continue to live a terrible life until they die and it sucks but I can see that being Janelle's future so that's bleak (laughs) but yeah I think that's it for what's happening on the land and what's happening with Janelle I don't think anything else happened this week in Teen Mom and if it did sorry I missed it okay let's get on to I guess I'm gonna because I'm by myself I'm in kind of a low-key mood I'm gonna fully recap OG and probably Young and Pregnant I say probably because I still don't even know It's so hard to have these two shows on, guys. I want to fully recap both. I didn't think OG was that boring this week. I kind of enjoyed it. I loved Young and Pregnant. I'm I'm all in on Young and Pregnant. But I still think that, like, some interesting stuff is happening on OG. Interesting-ish. And I want to chat about it. So I'm going to do that after a really quick break. Okay, another week, another episode. What was I trying to say? What is that phrase? I don't know. I'm confused about whatever the fuck is going on between Bristol and Dakota. But we did get a Levy. Levi, his name's Levi, not Levy. We did get a Levi Johnson appearance, and that was thrilling. I didn't realize that he's got married or he's with somebody and he has two other kids somehow totally missed that I guess the tabloids aren't keeping up with him but first we get a go-karting outing and you guys know I fucking hate a go-karting outing because nobody ever goes go-karting it's not a real activity it's not a thing that anybody does except for people on reality tv so Sarah is there And Bristol and Sarah talk about how horrific it was of Dakota to move her stuff. And Bristol's like, I'm just so glad that Trip wasn't with me because I would not have wanted him to see my stuff moved. I'm so confused by things that Bristol says. What does that mean that she didn't want her son to... She's moving out of the house. Like, why the fuck would Trip care if she was in a different bedroom? Trip knows they're getting divorced. Sarah starts crying. I can't figure out why. And apparently Dakota told Bristol that she was going to need her mommy's money because they were he was going to fight tooth and nail until the girls are 18. Yikes. But I'm so confused because anytime they're filming and they're talking on camera to one another, it's like so fine. It's civil. It's great. And then as soon as they're like not talking to one another, they're saying how awful the other one was. It's very confused. So, uh, we find out that uh, Levi wasn't around for the first four years, which I think we all knew. Tripp didn't even stay overnight with him until he was four years old. But he's really stepped it up, and Tripp goes there every summer. So, I guess what happened was 
trip trip's dad and stepmom like came to LA and then they were gonna fly back to Alaska with him I was a little confused if they were just coming to LA and staying in LA why trip was doing dancing with the stars or if um he was going to Alaska with them I feel like they weren't that clear on that on that so the kids are named Breeze and Indy Indy's like fine I guess Breeze is not a name. I feel like people in Alaska have really weird names. Did any of you guys, if you did, please send me a tweet or follow me on my new Instagram. My feathers in my hair Instagram is EBP underscore feathers. It's the same as my Twitter. Come follow me. I posted close-ups of Janelle's teeth in the video on that Instagram. So if you want to see them, definitely come follow me. My main Twitter or my main Instagram account is at BentleyLiz1. But this is my feathers in my hair Instagram account. I definitely want to get more active on there when I go to Ferris Fight in Atlantic City. And, oh my god, it's in like two weeks. Oh my god, I'm so fucking excited. Oh, when I go to Ferris Fight, I'm going to do some Instagram living, I think, for, you know, for all you guys to see. I cannot wait to do that and then Billy and I to recap it. I'm so excited. I, can, I can't believe it's already October 27th. The fight is literally two weeks from today. Holy shit. I just realized it was so close because I was thinking it was like months away. <laughs> but I can't remember where, why I started talking. Oh, did, if you watch this show, let me know on Twitter or on Instagram. Slednecks, which was MTV's version, obviously, of Buck Wild, but in Alaska. Now, I'm sure a lot of you watched Buck Wild. It was fun. What's his face died? R.I.P. Actually, Buck Wild is a Team Mom 2 connection because at one point, Cortland, Janelle's ex husband, started hooking up with a girl that was on Buck Wild whose name I can't remember. I loved Buck Wild. But what I really loved was MTV's Slednecks. And that was Buck Wild, but in Alaska. That show was fucking great. All they did was drink and like do wild things outside. I wonder if I can watch it on their website. Ugh, I loved Slednecks. Anyway, I think people in Alaska have weird names is the point that I was making. So, Bristol and Levi, Bristol was, like, so nervous. She's like, this is gonna be so awkward. This is gonna be so awkward. Bristol is filled with awkward energy. Like, she just radiates awkwardness, but then she gets into these situations, and it's, like, totally fine. There was nothing awkward about seeing Levi... Why do I want to call him Levi? Oh my god, I Levi like the jeans, Liz. Levi. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ugh, I'm all messed up. So Levi is hot. I think we all agree that he's hot. And Dakota or Bristol leaves and she tells her sister, she's like, that was so awkward. That was one awkward thing done today. And I'm like, it didn't seem awkward at all. I feel like Bristol doesn't fully connect with people. Like, I think she lacks empathy, so she has a hard time connecting in social situations. And so she, like, projects this awkwardness onto everything and, like, believes everything is awkward. But everybody else that's in the situation was like, no, it was, it was totally fine. We're okay. So we do get a FaceTiming scene. And... Dakota and Bristol have a totally normal, regular chat. Totally normal and regular. They discuss the schedule. She says that she needs the equity check from the house, which is 
the money that she put into the house. He says, yep, I'll get it to you as soon as possible. I want you to have the money. It was so fine. It was so fine. At the end, uh, Dakota mentioned something about the fact that he will be at the house. When, and Bristol's like, oh, you'll be there? And he's like, yeah, I'll be there. And she's like, okay. And then they hang up. And right away, Bristol's like, with her sister and they're both like oh my god oh my god oh my god that was so weird why is he like that why is he like that and I'm like what was weird about it like I'm just so confused I don't understand what is weird about it and I think it's because what I talked about last week which is that we're just coming into this relationship like too far into the relationship and I don't understand any of their dynamics so when I watch them do things I'm like I don't get it this doesn't make any sense Dakota then talks to the producer and is like, she's a bitch. She's the worst. I can't believe I'm going to have to care parent with her for 16 years. Fuck her. I'm like, it just goes from their totally normal conversation to both of them like wanting to kill each other. And I can't follow. I don't get it. Bristol did get her check though because she she bought another house in Austin. It's actually a really nice house. It's very cute. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. Brist, or Dakota does say that he feels like Bristol makes decisions and then he expects everybody else to just like bow down to them. And I can see that. And I think even Sarah, when she was like telling Bristol, like, you should be a logistics expert. Like, I think that's what she was saying, basically, but in a nicer way. I think Bristol is a planner. I think Bristol is a doer. And I think Bristol doesn't have a lot of patience for people that aren't. And I can definitely get that because I'm a planner and it drives me nuts when other people are planners. (laughs) I just, I don't know. Something is totally missing in the storyline of Bristol and Dakota that I, as a viewer, don't get. Like, I just, I don't totally understand what's happening and why it's happening and why they hate each other and why they can have these like totally normal conversations and then they both hang up and are like I want to kill that person don't get it I don't get it at all although I did understand what Dakota was saying that he was like why is she surprised that I'm going to be at the house that I own and I live in also why couldn't Dakota just like get a sublease like, I'm sure MTV would have paid for a fully furnished Airbnb for two months until she could buy a house. Like, why would she stay in that house? Why wouldn't she just... If you have the funds, which I know Dakota does and MTV would help her out with, I just don't understand, like, why you would punish yourself by being in this, like, unhealthy, weird, and awkward situation. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Oh, I guess when... Levi <laughs> picked up Trip. Trip was going back to Alaska for a month, I guess. Right? I guess. Apparently, also Dakota doesn't talk to Trip anymore, and Trip's upset about it. But like, I don't know. He wasn't with Bristol for very long. <laughs> you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if Trip and Dakota weren't that close. I still can't believe she named that baby Trip. That's awful. Okay, let's go to Kate. Kate, her episode really wasn't anything about Kate this week. It starts, though, with a voiceover, and she's like, I'm still not ready to go to couples counseling. (laughs) Which is tough. It's tough. But I also, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I think that 
most therapists, if you're a therapist, let me know if I'm right on this. But I think right now Kate's priority like has to be getting better herself and she should be in intensive individual therapy and trauma therapy. And then once she's like stable at home and feeling a little better, then they go to couples counseling. I feel like it probably would be too much for her to go to couples counseling at this point. Now, if Tyler needs couples counseling to stay in this relationship, I don't think it'd be unfair for Tyler to leave. Does that make sense? I completely, what I basically what I'm trying to say is I completely understand why Kate does not feel ready to go to couples counseling, but I also understand, like, if Tyler can't be with someone who isn't ready to go to couples counseling. I'm sympathetic to that. But in this episode, they're going to Texas to see Butch so that Butch can make his amends. Now, I thought Amber was in treatment, and I think Amber's still sober, according to her Instagram, you know, whatever that means. But she's there with them the whole... Oh my god, I'm sorry, I just yawned in the middle of speaking. Amber is there with them the whole trip. So I guess she's not in rehab? I don't know, I'm a little confused by the Amber, the Amber of it all. So, basically, they're going, they meet with the counselors. The counselors, I appreciated very clearly, said, like, we are not recording this. This will not be on camera. This is something for your dad and for you to do. I guess he did one to Amber and one to Tyler. And I I guess I just, since this is probably the only team on podcast where the person has made amends, um, that I should talk about it a little bit. So, should I just quickly go over what the 12 steps are? Should I just quickly do that for you? Okay, I'm going to quickly do that for you. Skip ahead if you're not interested in 12-step talk. But what the 12 steps are, the first one is that we admitted we were powerless and we could no longer... Wow, I thought I knew that off the top of my head. Let me pull up a list of the 12 steps accurately. But the first step is basically admitting you're powerless and that you cannot drink alcohol. It doesn't mean you're powerless over everything. It just means that you're powerless over alcohol and that having even one drink like turns everything out of control. It's we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable. The second step is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now remember the 12 steps is a faith-based, higher power-based, spirituality-based program. It doesn't mean that you have to believe in God, but God is the word that they use. Personally, I think that you do need to believe in a higher power. I don't really, if you don't believe in any sort of higher power, you're not willing to believe in any sort of a higher power. I think there are other methods to getting sober that make a little more sense than the 12 steps, but this is a faith-based program. Not a faith-based program sounds weird because that sounds very Christian, right? When you say faith-based program, but it's never been Christian to me. So the second step basically just means like, I'm willing to believe in a higher power. The third step made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. I did remember that one off the top of my head. Uh, That means that you have decided that a higher power is in control and that you are going to let that higher power control your life, which sounds very weird, but the way that I've always understood it is... Like, the third step works in my life, 
by what we call doing the next right thing. And that means deciding to live my life in in allegiance with I believe my higher power wants. And like for me, a higher power is like society. And I believe that I was put on this earth to like do good and be better for society. And I also believe, I'm getting a little probably too deep here. But so my thoughts and feelings on the third step is like I have this idea that if society and the universe at large is a higher power, right? So the universe, society, whatever you want to call it, is like a large gear and a wheel, I guess. And I'm like a tiny little gear in that wheel. And if I'm living my life in the third step, if I am turning my will over to the care of God as I understand him, that means that the gear in this wheel is turning easily. It's turning easily. I'm like making for progress in life, good things are happening, I'm helping people, I'm happy, life is good. If I'm not turning my will over to the care of God as I understand him, which looks like I'm lying, cheating, stealing, and then eventually drinking and using, then this gear in this wheel, like, stops. And I have to, like, struggle so fucking hard to try and push this gear forward, and that's what my life was like until I got sober and went through the steps. That's how always how my life was. My life was very difficult for me from a very early age, literally as long as I can remember, way before I started drinking and using even. I mean, I started drinking when I was like 10. But um, I know it's crazy. (laughs) Trust me. I know it's crazy that I started drinking smoking pot when I was like 11 years old. But I really feel like if I am doing the next right thing, if my will is turned over to the care of God as I understand him, that means that I am living with intention, living with integrity, being a good person, helping those around me, uh, being in service. I know helping those around me and being in service to others is kind of the same thing. But basically my life goes so much smoother and life is so much easier. And I have found that to be so true when I am lying, cheating, stealing, using um, relapsing, whatever, like my life is very difficult. It's very difficult for me to live. And that's why I believe if I had never gotten sober, like I probably would have killed myself eventually. Um, I was never like actively suicidal. I never made like a suicide attempt, but it's, I was just talking about this with my cousin, uh, this week. And I said, like, if I had never gotten trauma therapy, and then if I had never like found this way of living that has been very good for me and by that I mean the steps like I would have killed myself because I I mean not probably in my 20s but like in my 30s or my 40s like I would I would have killed myself and I would have been dead because like life was just too hard for me it was just too much of a struggle I just could not I could not function and anybody that's listening to this that like knows me uh from before, which is probably just Julia and my dear friend Katie, can definitely, like, attest to that, that, like, I really struggled with, like, the basic life skills and the basic, like, rudimentary things that you had to do in life in order to, like, have any sort of happiness and purpose. Like, that desperately escaped me, and that's what I was constantly trying to fill with drugs and alcohol and men and bad decisions and chaos and everything else and the third step turning my will and my care turning my wow I just lost it 
turning around my will and my life over the care of God as I understand him basically just says, like, I am going to try and do right in this world. So the fourth step made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. can look different for a lot of people, but basically you write out, like, <laughs> every resentment you've ever had against anyone, basically, like, that you can think of. Mine was a lot of paid, well, mine wasn't crazy, crazy long. Uh, but some people's are like books and books and books. Some people's aren't that many. Um, basically, you like write down everything you're mad about that ever happened in your life. Uh, you also do a sex inventory, which my sponsor told me wasn't about like writing down every single person you have sex with. It's like you write down things that you can remember and people that you can remember and you look for patterns in your sex life Um Basically, the idea of a fourth step is to look for patterns that continuously come up in your life and the character defects which present themselves in these patterns. So five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongdoings, which is basically just reading your fourth step. Uh, the fourth step is really hard for some people. It wasn't that hard for me because I've been in therapy like my whole life. So I was like, okay, like, let's let's talk about it. Like I've been talking about it, but for people who aren't me and didn't start going to therapy when they were eight years old, um, <laughs> it can be much harder, especially if you are a person that like has never shared your feelings on a lot of stuff. And it's just hard to look at yourself and admit your faults. So six is we are entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. And by these defects of character, it's the things that came up in your fourth step. Uh, seven, humbly ask them to remove our shortcomings. Basically, the idea is like every day you ask your higher power to remove all of your defects of character because we are on a spiritual program and we believe that we sh don't really have the power to do it ourselves and that our higher power does it. That's like really a basic, basic, basic description of it. If anybody is listening to this and is interested in like what the fuck I'm saying in regards to defects of character, there's a book called Drop the Rock, which is about step six and seven. And it like really helped explain to me what the six and seven steps meant and like what they look like in real life because you just, they're like three lines in the big book and you just read them and you're like, okay, <laughs> and you move on. Um, there's also like a prayer, a specific seven step prayer. Okay. So eight is made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them. So when you do your fourth step, you write down all of your resentments and on like 98% of your resentments, it, you realize that you played a part in the resentment and you owe an amends to them. Um, of course there are there are amends that like you or there are resentments that you did nothing wrong you have no part in you do not owe an amends to that person um abusive boyfriends assaults like that type of stuff obviously you don't um, owe amends to that um I've told sponsees that had abusive boyfriend ex-boyfriends that they didn't owe amends to them but if they felt it was like on their heart that they really like wanted to apologize for something specific to like send a letter without a return address so that they don't have the option of writing back, but I, like, never encourage reaching out to abusers. Um, so this is where Butch is. He's on his, he is, well, he made his list and then became willing to make amends to them. And then the ninth step is made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So that's where Butch is. He's on his ninth step. Uh, it's definitely 
in my opinion, the heart it was for me the hardest step because you really have to get very vulnerable and very humble and it can be really hard to do, especially like in situations where you really harm somebody. But for me, the ninth step was the most important step to me getting sober. Um, when I, you know, made amends to people that I had really harmed, like really harmed, they, and they said back to me, like, I'm just so proud of you. Like, you're doing so good. It's okay. Like, I forgive you. It was a very, very spiritual experience for me. That is when I really started believing in a higher power. Um, when I first came into the program, I didn't believe in a higher power at all. Like I said, I still am a <laughs> If you couldn't tell, I'm still a little weird on it considering I consider it to be society and the universe. And I say higher power, not God. Um, but when I got these responses, I was kind of able to identify that like, I feel like a sp that's when I understood spirituality in my life. Um, and there are these things called the 12 step or the nine step promises. And they're read in a lot of meetings, the promises and people just call them the promises. <coughs> Excuse me, but they're really the nine step promises. And they are basically supposed to come true after you do your nine step and you make amends. And I'll just read them really quickly because this is like part of the reason why it's so important to make amends. And it says, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see our new experience. We can see how our experience can benefit others. The feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if they if we work for them. Now, those sound pretty nice, right? Like I said, um, the one that sticks out the most to me is we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. And like I said five minutes ago or whatever, like I know for a fact I would have killed myself if I never got sober, never got trauma therapy, and never worked the steps. And like I just would have, and that's because... I did not know how to handle life. Like, situations that used to baffle us, like, life as a whole used to baffle me. Like, putting my feet on the floor, like, being a productive member of society was baffling to me. And so, like, I do now intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. Like, I, without thinking a lot about it, like, I know how to live life. And that came true as a result of working the steps and making amends. So that was a really detailed explanation of the first nine steps, <laughs> which by the way, like I understand for those that listen that are like, this bitch breaks traditions like every day and I do and I know that, but I don't care. Um, I am somebody that I do care about traditions, uh, the traditions of AA and that is that I'm supposed to remain anonymous at the level of press and film. 
I get that and I get that I am not remaining anonymous when I'm on this podcast and that like deeply talking about the program the way that I am like is really tradition breaking but I don't care because of the amount of messages I get from people that have stopped drinking not because of me but because like they hurt they heard me talk and they like reflected on their own lives and realized that they had a problem and decided to make decisions. Um, the fact that people reach out to me about their siblings, like I don't care. I don't care. We're in an opioid epidemic where people are dying every fucking day. And like every fucking day I log onto my Facebook guys. I don't think you understand like when you're in recovery, like literally every day I get on my Facebook and somebody's either dead or missing. Every day. Like, I don't care. And I understand I'm breaking a tradition, but also, like, you can't kick me out of AA. I'm here to stay, baby. Like, <laughs> it's a loose organization. There's no organizing governing body. Um, and I am choosing to break the traditions and explain what AA means and identify myself at the level of press as being an AA member. And... Sue me, really, is how I feel. And I have a hundred and total respect for people that don't do that. And the reason that you're really not supposed to is because you're never supposed to be representing that you're speaking as AA for AA as a whole. And I hope that I am people don't take what I'm saying as me speaking as AA as a whole. But I just think it's crazy to like not talk about it and we can watch on this show and they talk about amends, then what we're not gonna talk about what amends actually is. Or we can, you know, look, that's all, that's what I want to say about that. What I say is my opinion only. I'm not speaking for AA. It's literally impossible to speak for AA because there's no governing body of AA. Um, there's no, AA is like so decentralized and so much about the groups that you're in and the individual meetings. And traditions are just that. They're called traditions. They're not laws. And I have a lot of respect for the traditions and I understand why people don't want to identify themselves and want to stay anonymous. And like I do to an extent and I respect other people's anonymity, but for me, I'm making a personal choice. And if, if that upsets people, like, I'm sorry, but I think the more it helps more people than it upsets. So anyway, that was a long tangent. (laughs) I don't know. I think it was important. I think, I don't know how I could sit here and just be like, and then Butch made his men's and like not, not talk about what that means. Um, so basically also I just want to explain like what an amends actually looks like and an amends you, you asked me with the person or I sent a lot of men's on Facebook Messenger because it's a modern day letter. Like, I don't have anybody's fucking address. I think I sent one physical letter, but you don't have anybody's address. So it's like sending a letter. But essentially what you do is you specifically like lay out ways that you harm the person and apologize. Now, it also says like accept one to do do so would injure them or others. So there are like amends to people that I owe, but I can't do them because like it would fuck up their lives. Like I can't make amends to somebody that I in a drunken state like hooked up with their boyfriend 
and that's like an awful, disgusting thing that I did. And they absolutely owe an amends to me or from me, not to me, from me. They absolutely, this is a specific example I'm thinking of, but there are lots of cases that you could come up with. Um, and I can't make that amends to them because it would break up their relationship. Um, it would ruin things. Like, it just, it's not my place to go in and, like, rat out their boyfriend to them. Like, it's just not my place to do. <sighs> Don't hate me for that. <laughs> I mean, if you do want to hate me for that, you do want to hate me for that. I did a lot of really terrible things as an active, active alcoholic and drug addict. That, I mean, that's all I can say about that. I can't, I can't pretend like I didn't. But that's a case where you wouldn't make an amends because it would just like, if I told that person, I'd just be blowing up their lives for like, so I could feel better about it. Like, that's shitty. Um, So you don't do it in those cases. I think that's like the only example of, in my life uh, for an amends that I didn't get to make. I I, it's just to that one person, I think, um, that I would like to make that amends. And maybe one day I'll get to make that amends, but probably not. Because it's not fair to the other person that was involved in this situation. Um, I know for some people, like, it's very black and white. And I should tell her, because she, et cetera, et cetera. But this is what I believe to be true. Oh, God, I've. I hope I didn't lose everybody with this and everybody didn't just turn it off because I did a bad thing. Because <laughs> trust me, I know I did a bad thing. But basically what you do is you apologize, except you, depending on the person, you're really not supposed to say sorry because the idea is an active addiction. We said sorry like a million times and our behaviors never changed it. Our behaviors never changed. So you just said sorry over and over and over and over again, but like nothing ever actually changed. So basically you say like, I want to make amends and then you're specific. And then at the end you say like, is there anything that I've forgotten or am not aware of that I need to make an amends for? And then you say like, and what can I do to make things whole? That's a basic, basic explanation of how you make an amends. There's like a million different ways you can do it. For some people, like you just pay them back without them even asking there's financial amends that you can make to institutions. Like, there's there's a lot of way to make amends, but that is essentially the meat and bones of an in-person amends to a family member. So, wouldn't Butch wouldn't just want to walk in and say, like, yo, I'm sorry. Because he said sorry to Tyler a million times. The idea is, Tyler, I deeply apologize for the time that I missed your sixth birthday. I enlist like all of these things. Um, so yeah, I thought that was interesting that, I mean, it's good that Butch is in a, the process of making amends. That means he's like getting pretty far into his steps. He's on his ninth step. That means he's actually doing the work. I was really glad to see that. Uh, I like that the therapist said that Tyler shouldn't spare Butch's feelings, but he also didn't need to beat him up. I thought that was good. Um, and afterwards, Amber, Tyler, and Kate go out to dinner and talk. And Tyler said that he was like, I, that was so short. Like, I can't believe all the stuff that he forgot. Tyler had a lot to tell him at the end. I think Tyler did have an understanding that, like... He, Butch, for, like, forgot stuff. Like, not just forgot, but, like, 
he warped his brain. And Amber seemed a little more satisfied with hers. Tyler didn't really see satis- seem satisfied with him. And I think that was, like, a totally normal reaction and the result of a lot of amends. Um, most people responding to my amends were, like, good and great. Some people didn't respond at all. I don't think I got any negative responses. But some people just aren't interested in it and are, like, I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> Like, okay, thanks for apologizing. Still don't want to be your friend. Um, I had that happen, and that's okay. The amends isn't... The point of the amends isn't to, like, get the person back in your life and have all be forgiven. It's basically a way of acknowledging your mistakes and trying to take accountability for your actions. And I would imagine that Butch probably isn't fully there yet and fully ready to do that. And that doesn't make him a bad person. It's just that he's, what, six months sober at this point or less. Um, And also, like, I still will will remember things that I have to make amends for. Like, something will happen and I'll remember something that I did. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I want amends. And then I have to contact that person. This is, like, three... When did I first start making amends? At, like, seven months sober. Less. Like, six months sober. Like, and I'm four and a half years sober. Oh, this coming week. Next week. Oh, four and a half years. That's cool. Um, So, it's been four years. And I still, like, things will pop into my head. I'm like, shit. I don't amends to that person. Like, you just forget. And they, con- they come up continuously. So... It's the last day in Texas, and... Oh, Tyler does say that if Butch uses again, like, he's done. But I'm not so sure that's true. It's their last day in Texas, and they all sit down with a therapist. And Tyler tells his therapist that he think it, thinks it went well, but I guess Butch had forgotten about a suicide attempt that Tyler made. And Butch says, well, he didn't forget. He pushed it down. He said, you know, your mom told me about it. Okay, did I imagine Tyler telling Butch about this on camera, like, a couple seasons ago? Like, I swear Tyler told Butch about trying to kill himself by hanging himself and the rope broke. I swear that happened on camera. He definitely talked about it because I know about it. (laughs) How else would we know about it? But I swear he told Butch. I have a memory of them doing this. And it's like, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, that's this week for Kate and Tyler. I hope you guys. Appreciated my amends explanation. <laughs> That's why you come to feathers in my hair, right? Right. All right, Cheyenne. Still don't like Cheyenne's voice. I also anybody else noticing that Cheyenne is stoned a lot? <laughs> Which like no, what is it? No tea, no shade, all lemonade. I hate that. I would literally never say that, and I also would never say no tea because I just or no shade. Because I just think it's stupid. I mean, it wasn't stupid when it was, like, first a thing. But now it's stupid because of the amount of people that say it. But let's just be real. Like, Cheyenne seems to constantly be stoned. Her eyes are, like, barely open. Which, you know what? You do you, girl. She lives in California. Who cares? So, Cheyenne's family's going to a street festival thing. And she invited Corey. Zach was invited, but was going to a dinner with his dad, and Cheyenne, like, pushed him to go. And here's the thing, like, if Cheyenne is going to push Zach to go places, then she shouldn't invite Corey to do family events that Zach isn't going to. 
At least not if she, like, actively wants to have a good relationship with Zach. I, did anybody else notice that Cheyenne's sister was Chiron as R.Kyle? Is that her name? What's Cheyenne's sister? Can somebody let me know what Cheyenne's sister's name is? Also, I really like Cheyenne's family. I think I've said this before on here. Like, I find her family and her friends to be a very good supporting cast. Like, everybody's come to play. They look great on TV. I mean, they're they're all very attractive, but they look good on TV. They sound good. They are good at talking in a way that is interesting, which I know is a weird compliment, but I think we all know from watching this show for our entire lives, because we've all been watching this for our entire lives. Oh my God, today's Bentley Edwards' 10th fucking birthday. That means we've been watching this show for nine years. Over nine years. Let's just all let that sink in. Let's remember where we were when we watched Macy's 16 and Pregnant episode, which was the first episode. I was in my ex-boyfriend's basement. Clearly remember watching it. We loved it. We were excited for it to come on. We loved it. We were all in from the first 16 and Pregnant episode. Man, that was before we even had Netflix streaming. Ugh, I remember we would, like, sit in his basement and we would watch stuff on demand and we would flip through channels. <laughs> we would get DVDs of seasons of shows <laughs> to watch. Remember doing that? Oh, and God forbid you didn't return it to Blockbuster. It'd be so expensive. I think Blockbuster might have even existed at this point. I think I was still renting from Blockbuster DVDs at this point. Oh my God. What a time. So... They all go to the street fair. Corey's like, you don't invite Zach anywhere. And she's like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. But as we find out, it's clear that Zach feels that he's being pushed away. Corey says what I thought was pretty accurate and understandable. He's like, look, I want things to be good with me and Zach, but I also, like, don't care that much and it's not a priority. (laughs) And I agreed. I mean, she had only been with Zach a couple months. He had just moved in. He has only been in Rider's Month for less, Rider's Life for rest, less than a year. By the way, Cheyenne posted some stuff on Instagram about how, like, it was awful that she didn't know who the father was, but did not give any details about, like, when she told her boyfriend at the time, if her boyfriend at the time was playing daddy. Like, I'm dying to know all of that. Ugh, I really hope we find out. So, I get why Corey's like, I would like things for to be cool between us, but I'm not going to, like, go out of my way to form a relationship with this guy, and I would probably feel the same. So, that night, Zach comes home really drunk, and Cheyenne kicked him out, and she goes to brunch with her friends the next day and basically says, so... Zach's dad and Cheyenne's stepdad are best friends, and every year they do, like, a guy's and a guy, like, a father-son night, um, and they all go out for dinner, and I guess that was what the event was. So Cheyenne was like, I was obviously pushing him to go to that because I thought it was important for him to be go to that. I want him to be close with his dad. I wonder if he's maybe not that close with his dad. And then Zach came home wasted and was like, you pushed me to go to that so you could hang out with Corey. He flipped out. He called her a bitch and she made him leave, packed his stuff, and they're broken up. So, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not sad to see Zach go. I think that Cheyenne and Corey is a much more interesting story, a much more 
It's much more interesting to watch. I soup I still think Corey's like a total fuckboy though. And he's never gonna get with Cheyenne seriously. If the thing is, like he said, if he wanted to be with Cheyenne, he would be. And he's not. Like if he wanted Cheyenne, he would just say, like, I wanna be with you and they would be together. But they're not, he's not. I don't see it happening. <sighs> okay, Amber's in LA and Gary and Christina come to visit her, which is I mean, it's nice. That was nice of MTV to fly them out. Right? Because MTV paid for it, obviously. They all go swimming in the pool, including baby James. Very cute scene. And Christina asks if they should do a girls' day. They'll go get manis and petties, Leah, Christina, and Amber. And Amber's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And Gary and Christina offer to watch James for a night. And Amber's like, yes, that'd be great. Like... Love that. I'd love a night of sleep. So they go and drop James off. And the next day, when it's supposed to be the Manny Petty day, James, James, Amber basically asked Christina, like, if they can take Leah parasailing. But if they go parasailing, they can't do their girls' day. And Christina, being the saint she is, agrees to it and also agrees to not, or to continue to watch James. <sighs> I think it's sad that Amber decided to, like, this parasailing instead of the the girls' day. And Amber's, like, you know, she's online. And she's like, I was with my daughter. Like, who cares? And it is good that she's spending time with her daughter. But I do think it's, like, crappy that she would bail on Christina because, you know, Christina wanted to have the day, too. Um, I also think it's a little weird that... Christina and Gary watched the baby for like a full 24 like not just overnight but a full 24 um I don't think they were intending to do that when they said they would watch James for a night I think they meant from like 7 p.m to 10 o'clock the next day <laughs> not from 7 to 7 <sighs> but Amber scenes are so pretty boring I think it's just because Matt's not there I mean I desperately miss Matt does that make me a bad person? Probably. But it's my reality. Okay, let's go to Macy. I know I'm kind of running through these, but don't forget we still have young and pregnant to go through. <laughs> and I think I like doing it this way where I watch both episodes. I take notes on both episodes. And then I just quickly recap all of the girls. And then if there's something interesting and worth expanding on, then I do so. Like with the butch stuff. Okay, so Mayfeev. Mayfeev birthday. I have a list. Macy's birthday is coming up, and they're going to have a little party. Whatever. We didn't even... Bentley threw out the first pitch at, like, a minor league baseball team. I have no idea what that had to do with Macy's birthday, but here we are. So, Macy's helping Bentley do homework, and she gets a text to an article from the Ashley. Shout out to Ashley. Love to see you on MTV. Really happy for her. And it is about Ryan getting arrested again. So Taylor comes out to talk to Macy. The producer's talking to her. And they basically don't have any information except for what happened. I do think it's kind of crazy that she's finding this out via the Ashley. Because I think we didn't find out that Ryan got arrested until like the next day. You know, the Edwards, I really do think should be letting Macy know as soon as they know. It's not fair to Bentley that 
he's finding out once his mom finds out from an article doesn't make any sense. Um, Macy lets us know that they tell Bentley the truth and they're not lying to him and every time they go to talk to him, like, Bentley knows it has something to do with his dad. You know what? I, I respect and appreciate that. I do think they should probably consider sending Bentley to therapy, having some sort of therapy because he's going through something pretty traumatic. But Bentley's 10. Bentley, what are you going to do? Like, they have to tell him the truth. I think there's obviously an age-appropriate way, and I hope that's the way that they tell him. But they can't lie to him. Bentley knows something's going on. He can feel it in the air. And I think that Macy is a good mom, and she does know her son well, and she tells him what he can handle. Um, Macy does this weird voiceover that she couldn't keep the rest of the secret from Bentley. And then she's like, so I, and I had, he had to go to Jen and Larry, so I dropped him off and I hope they can answer the questions. Now that confuses me because if I'm Macy, I know how Jen and Larry are and I want basically all Ryan information coming from me and not coming from Jen and Larry. Wouldn't you? Isn't that how you would want it? Like, I just can't imagine like having Jen and Larry be answering Bentley's questions. I don't know. I never understand Macy's relationship with Jen and Larry totally. Because on one hand, she seems to not trust them. On the other hand, she lets them do, like, anything they want with Bentley. And that confuses me. So, we get a scene of Jen and Larry. And I watched this and I felt very sad for them. Jen and Larry get a lot of shit online. I'm sure I've given Jen and Larry a lot of shit on this podcast. But Jen and Larry are two people whose son has a deadly disease that is killing, like I said, a lot of fucking people. And are they enablers? Of course. Are they in denial? Yeah. Show me any fucking parent with a child with a heroin addiction that isn't one of those things, at least for a while. Jen and Larry basically say... They're not mad that he's in, they're not mad that he's in jail. They're mad at him, but they're not mad that he's in jail because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're going to get arrested. They're saying that he just got arrested for missing his community service. I honestly am still confused about what he got arrested for or if he failed drug tests or what. I mean, we know he's not, well, I hope he's currently sober. He's in rehab. We know at some point he was not sober again because he went back to rehab But I don't know if he was arrested for missing his drug test. I tried to read up on it, and it was just more and more confusing stuff. It did seem like a probation violation. I don't know. But they're really worried for Mac, and they said that they won't lie to Bentley. So I guess Bentley asked Larry where Ryan was, and Larry said that he's like, he knew... Larry says, like, he knew that Bentley knew, but that Bentley needed to hear it from Larry. And I am glad that he has Jen and Larry because I think he knows that Jen and Larry are, like, his real second set of parents and that they are the ones that are his dad's keeper, you know, and that he needs, Bentley needs Jen and Larry to, like, assure him that things are okay. Because I think he, 
Bentley has to know that, first of all, Macy and Taylor have a fucking restraining order against Ryan. And that Macy and Ryan do not speak and never really spoke and have not spoken really for many years. Bentley's not dumb. Like, he's aware of that. And he's aware that Macy co-parents with Jen and Larry. And I think when Macy tells him stuff about Ryan, Macy doesn't have a ton of answers because they keep Macy pretty much in the dark. Um, and I think Bentley, when it comes to his dad, Bentley needs Jen and Larry to reassure him that everything's okay because he knows that, like, Jen and Larry are the ones that have his the info about his dad. So he told him, Larry told Bentley that Ryan's in jail and he told him that he's still clean, though. And apparently Bentley started crying and gave Larry a big hug, which just, like, breaks my little heart, like, just breaks it. Poor Bentley. The idea of, like, him crying to Larry about his dad being in jail is just uh, heart-shattering. Should Larry have told him that he was still clean? I don't know. Because I don't think Ben... I don't think Ryan's still clean. I think Ryan was hot. I think he was probably arrested for more heroin, heroin or failing drug tests or missing community service because he's still a mess. Um... But I don't, I don't know. I think he was just trying to assure Bentley that everything was okay. And, you know, Larry acknowledges that Ryan has all the support in the world, but it's still not enough. And Larry says, he says, you never know if today's the day. And that, that like was a a punch in the gut for me. It was very sad. I think that that line... I hope people understood what he meant. And I hope when people are criticizing them for enabling and being in denial, which, as I said, I do too. Like, people understand that every fucking day, Larry and Jen are worried that they're going to get a call that Ryan is dead. Every day. Every day. They're terrified that their only son is going to die. That is a horrific, horrific, like, reality that you live in. You are just totally hopeless. You're totally, well, not hopeless. You're totally helpless is the word I'm looking for. You can really do so little. And, you know, people want them to cut him off. There are a million things that you can say to do. But I can't remember if I've shared this on this podcast before. But I have a friend who just, like, cannot get sober and... I basically told her mom that her mom needed to cut her off. And she said to me, I'm never doing that because if she dies, I will never be able to live with myself. And this is what I have to do to live with myself. And I, from that moment, I've like really tried to stop judging parents on how they handle their children's addiction because it's not so easy as cutting them off. Um, Yeah, I just thought... I just thought it was really sad. That's their reality. We get a quick scene of Macy at the end, and she says that she's talking to her friend, and she's like, look, I don't know if Ryan's sober, but I don't think so. And she has a lot of confidence in Jen and Larry. She knows that Larry will not let anything happen if Bentley's there, which was good to hear. Like, I I found that reassuring that... Macy knows that she can trust, especially Larry. She didn't even say Jen and Larry. She said, like, if Larry's there, nothing will happen to Bentley. And I that made me glad that Bentley does have... Because we know that Jen 
can be a pushover, but I do think that Larry is very much like you are not allowed here if you're high, if Bentley's here. Like, I think that he probably is much more of the hard ass and the protector of Bentley than Jen is. Um, so that, that was reassuring to hear, but she does acknowledge, she's like, look, Ryan is their child and I just worry that they're not always going to use their best judgment with him. And she said, you know, and I'm just frustrated that everybody knows what's going on and everybody's sitting around and doing nothing. And I can understand that, especially when it comes to like them not forcing him back into rehab. And this is where the enabling comes in. And I just, I get, I get everybody's side here. I get why Jen and Larry are acting the way that they're acting. I get why Macy's acting the way that they're acting. And I kind of even get why Mackenzie is just being so far in denial. I miss Mackenzie. And I'm sorry, it is fucking bullshit that this entire episode was about Ryan and he doesn't get to say his piece. That's bullshit. It's total bullshit. Mm. Okay, let's go on to Young and Pregnant. Are you guys excited? (laughs) Are you excited? So, did anybody else notice that little Tobias, Lexi's son, was wearing knee pads when he was crawling around? Is that a thing you do for babies? They were pretty cute, but I was surprised. So basically, the storyline in Lexi's story is that there's a big senior party, and Kyler's going to go, and she wants to go, but she also doesn't. She keeps saying that, like, her mom will watch the baby, and she's like, but that's not my mom's responsibility to watch my baby. And I'm like, has Amber really never watched Tobias? Like, I couldn't believe that Lexi's mom had never babysat Tobias, but... I mean, it it comes out that the real reason is Lexi just doesn't want to go to this party. I think Lexi has really taken to motherhood the most that we've, like, almost ever seen on this show. She reminds me a lot of Chelsea when Chelsea was little. That's funny, when Chelsea was little. I mean, she kind of was, though. But she's very into being a mom, and I really do think, like, her entire outlook in life have, like, shifted since becoming a mom, and I greatly respect it. She seems to be doing a very good job. And the reality is, is, like, she doesn't want to go to a party. She doesn't want to go get wasted and party when she knows Tobias is at home. Like, she's over it, uh, which I think is great. But at first, she's, like, masking it that it's not my mom's responsibility, and she keeps mentioning to Kyler over and over again, like, your priorities have changed, your priorities have changed, your priorities have changed. And Kyler's like, no, they haven't. Um, <laughs> I think Lexi is frustrated that Kyler does not think that being his dad, a dad needs to be his number one first priority. Like, being a mom is hers. Um, so Kyler goes to the party and Lexi decides to stay home. Her mom is pleased. She says, that's a good girl, when Lexi tells her that she's not going to go. I, you know what, we've seen Amber... Amber. We've seen Lexi and Kyler go out post Tobias. We know Amber's watched the baby. But, like, I I do respect that Lexi isn't just dumping the baby to go party. Like, I, I think that's a good decision. I'm happy for her. She says that she just, like, wouldn't feel comfortable going. She graduated early. Like, it's not her senior party. And that Kyler would be there with all his friends partying and she would just be, like, sitting in a corner feeling awkward. So she decided not to go. That girl's got a lot of maturity on her. I like Lexi. I think she needs to dump Kyler, and I think eventually she will. I don't think Lexi and Kyler are in it to win it. But she's got a good head on her shoulders, that one. 
Okay, so Kayla had a hilarious episode. Stefan is honestly hilarious. He's a really good villain. I love his scenes. When Stefan's on screen, I'm like, this fucking idiot. But in a way that mm, deeply pleases me. So Stefan still hasn't gotten a job. So Kayla filed for welfare, for state assistance, as she called it. I wonder if she said Stefan still hasn't gotten a job. So I filed for welfare. But I was like, but did you get a job? (laughs) Are you getting a job too? And if you guys didn't know, I don't think they explained this like that well. But basically, if you are a parent and you file for welfare or any sort of state assistance, um, for your child and you, they, the state will then go after the other parent. So it's usually obviously the mother and then the state will go after the father for child support because the idea is like, why should the state be totally on the hook if there's an able-bodied parent that's not providing support? Uh, this is something that happens like all the time, even if the mother isn't pursuing child support, like the state will then pursue the child support. So that's what happened. Um, I think Stefan is very mad that she filed for this assistance. He feels like she knew what she was doing. But, like, if she just wanted child support, like, I think she just would have filed for child support. Although, maybe she did know what she was doing. And this was her way of, like, getting child support from Stefan without having to do it herself. Because she's so timid when it comes to him. And they're still together doing whatever they're doing. And this was her way of, like, formalizing child support without having to actually deal with, like, doing that herself and being the bad guy. So maybe, maybe Stefan's actually not incorrect. Um, so they go to court and Stefan's in jeans and a hoodie in case you didn't notice. Kayla's in her fashion Nova finest. as always and we find out that the court ordered him to get a job and start paying child support uh stefan keeps saying that he's being finessed he's being finessed he's like being so mean to kayla and storms out of her car because of course kayla had to drive him to get to court because i don't think stefan has a car (laughs) oh man oh man i wonder if kayla even had to be there huh Interesting. So, Kayla tells her friend that he only is ordered to pay $128 a month. Like, that is nothing. That is absolutely nothing. And that if he doesn't get a job, he'll be in contempt of court. So, she's like, that's why Stefan's really mad. um, Because he's basically being ordered to get a job. And I'm still wondering what Stefan does all day. Considering he's 20 years old. He doesn't have a permanent place to live. Like, what does he do all day if he doesn't have a job? He goes to meet with his friend and tells his friend, like, that he was ordered to get a job. And his friend's like, how are you just going to get a job? It's like, he's just going to get a job like every other adult. (laughs) And his friend has the profound statement of, You know, like, $129 is payable, but, like, you're locked into that shit for 18 years. Yeah, that's what having a kid is. It's just so, it's so pathetic. It's really pathetic. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Okay, Jade. 
Jade is having a total breakdown. I really felt for Jade in this scene. It was really sad. She can't deal with Sean, so she calls her mom to come over. So Christy comes over to help with her stepdad. Her stepdad is like, they make a point of showing her stepdad like straight up passed out on the couch. And I wasn't sure if we were supposed to believe that he was high or just like an old man falling asleep. So her mom calls the doctor for her, like, she has to put Jade on the phone and Jade can barely even talk to her. She's having panic attacks. Um, and thankfully they're able to get her into the doctors like pretty quickly. So her mom volunteers to take Chloe. By the way, Chloe's a very pretty baby. I bet Jade was a pretty baby too. Anyway, her mom volunteers to take Chloe to for the night, but she needs, they're homeless right now, I guess. I don't know if they're living in their car or what. So they need Jade to pay for the hotel. I don't totally get it. I thought Jade had a two-bedroom apartment. Seems like it would make more sense for them to stay there than for anybody to pay for a hotel if they're watching the baby. I don't know. I I'm I have trouble keeping up with Christy and her living situation. Um it's sad. And I can't imagine being in that situation for Jade where she's just, but I'm a little confused, like, why she lets her mom, I mean, I guess she had to. She had to let her mom help in this situation. So Jade goes to the doctor and basically the doctor takes her off the antidepressant she was on, puts her on a new one and gives her Ativan. And she calls her mom to tell her that she was prescribed meds. And her mom's like, well, what, what did he prescribe you? And she says it's called Ativan. And her mom's like, you need to be careful with that. We have addictive behavior in your family. And Jade's like, why are you even saying that? Why? Jade jumps to anger so quickly. But I think that's just like her PTSD, basically, from having an awful mom her whole life. And her, Jade calls her cousin. They agree that all of her, Jade's anxiety is because of Sean, which seems inaccurate. We get a scene with Sean going to a therapist, and is it just me or does Sean look, like, really bad? Like, he looks awful. I think Sean has some sort of drug addiction. Something's going on with Sean. I really don't care about Sean in therapy. I really don't. Sean's not, like, a charismatic, compelling character to me. Not at all. So, Jade is feeling a little better, um... But that even when Christy's trying to help, like, she makes her find a way to feel awful. And Christy's like, you're probably bipolar. I'm bipolar. And Jade's like, can can you stop? Can you stop? (laughs) Oh, God. And Christy says the way that she dealt with it was just to say, fuck it. And Jade said, we know. I found this, I don't know. I thought this episode was pretty real for Jade, just like, Watching her have a total breakdown was sad but real, and there's not that much to say about it, but it was interesting and entertaining to watch. Oh my goodness, I have the hiccups. Oh, that's tough. Okay, Bree is still moving to Oregon. They still have nowhere to live. They go to Mount Rushmore, they go to Yellowstone, and they get an Airbnb, and I was, like, relieved to see that. I didn't realize they had the funds for an Airbnb, but it made me feel a little better about them just moving uh, across the country. I mean, I, their family lives there, so it's not like they just moved somewhere blind. But I, like, legit was worried about where they would sleep. So that's great. Uh, truly nothing happened for Brie in this episode. 
except that we meet her grandparents, Brayson's crawling, and Vanessa goes home. Because Vanessa did not move to Oregon with them. I've seen some questions about, like, why Vanessa didn't go with them. But Vanessa's older than Bree. I think Vanessa's 19 or 20. And she's going to live with her boyfriend. I think she has a job, friends. Like, she has a life in Wisconsin and didn't want to leave. I don't think it was Bree's mom just, like, leaving a daughter behind. It was Vanessa making an active choice not to move with them. That was it. Um, I think Bree and Robert may have broken up. It doesn't seem like he's on her Instagram anymore. So I'm sure she'll have a new boyfriend playing dad to Brayson very soon. Because the whole family was, like, obsessed with how much Brayson loved Robert. And they're like, Robert, your family, your family. And he was calling them their family, his family. And I was like, oh, God. It's going to be rough when they break up. <laughs> I hope he at least got a little paycheck from MTV. Mm, poor Robert. I wonder if he's back in Wisconsin with his family. <laughs> okay, and last but not least, Ashley. Uh, unfortunately, Barr's brother got convicted of murder. Very sad. Uh, Barr calls Ashley from the courthouse. Ashley decided not to go because of all the drama that's happening. And Barr's like, my mom's talking shit about you in the restraining order. And Ashley's like getting all mad. And it's like, Let's just not talk about it, you know? Let's not talk about it. During this time, Ashley's, like, cleaning up their apartment. But did you guys realize how disgusting their apartment was? Like, it was not just, like, messy. It was, like, super dirty and gross. Ugh. I, there was trash everywhere. It was, it was not good. Okay, I think the only thing we need to talk about in Ashley's segment is at the end... Ashley and Barr are sitting outside, and Barr's obviously having a very hard time, and Barr's, like, he's talking about how he can't imagine how Troy's feeling, and Ashley tries to say something and goes, you know what, can't change the subject? Interrupting her. And she kind of, like, looks startled because Barr had basically opened up this conversation. So he then is like, I'm sorry, sorry, please say what you're going to say. And Ashley has extremely wise words for him where she says, you know, your brothers can look up to you. Like, they they didn't get out, but you did. If you live your life well, they can be the little brother that they're proud of. And you can kind of live your life for them and do the things that they don't get to do. You're the one that got out. And I thought it was, like, very deep. And Ashley and Barr, as I've said a million times are truly best friends. They truly love one another. They have a trillion dysfunctional moments. They're probably toxic and unhealthy together. But the fact stands that those two know each other well. And they are able to have conversations that we do not often see on Teen Mom. Because the reality is most of these people are not in relationships where they, like, really know one another and understand one another. She says that, like, she wants... Bar to live his best life. And I believe that she does. Barr agrees with her too. And he says that his goal is to get a job, really actively start bonding with Holly, and that he is starting anger management in the next two weeks. So that's great. Um, I, I don't know. I like Ashley and Barr as a couple, even though like I saw them physically fight on Instagram live. So I don't know what that says about me, guys. Anyway, that's it for this week. I'm dead-ass tired. 
talking for an hour and a half by myself is not very easy. You know, let's keep in mind the, I just looked, the 11 people that are dead in Pittsburgh. Um, by the time I record next week, we won't even think about them again. But yeah, uh, this world is scary. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting me. I don't say thank you enough, but like it really means a lot that you all listen to me. So I love you guys. Bye. This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards. www.patreon.com slash ebpsychos 